You're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz Academy Jobscast. I'm James Batchelor, Editor-in-Chief of GamesIndustry.biz. This is the third in our four-part series of podcasts exploring the world of recruitment and careers in the video games industry, which is part of our Get a Job in Games Month. This week, we're talking about onboarding, what companies can do to better integrate new recruits and how those hires can hit the ground running in their new role. Joining me for this discussion is Jody Zarkos, Associate HR Business Partner from RuneScape developer Jagex. Jody, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for joining us. I, I'm, as I introduce each of you, like, let's have a little bit about um, what your role is and, and what your role is in regard to onboarding. So, um, right now, my role is Associate HR Business Partner, but actually I own onboarding strategy at Jagex. So I moved into this role. I actually started at Jagex in the talent team. And then right at the beginning of the pandemic for us, so February 2019, the HR team were like, hey, Jodie, come over here. So I skipped over to HR and then they were like, fix onboarding. So I was like, Okay, let's do it. So uh, what a year to look at onboarding, break it apart and put it back together again, basically. That's what I do. They say clear communication is the key to any effective strategy, uh, any effective studio. Come here, fix this. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Joining us from new Vancouver-based studio Timber Games is Zoe Kernos, studio production director. How are you? I am great. I'm a little tired. It's a little early here, but I'm good. I'd good. really appreciate you getting up so early. I do. Um, what, what, you. What's your role in uh, in onboarding for Timber? Because you know, you're only just starting. So what what, what onboarding is happening at Timber? <laughs> uh, well, we just onboarded someone, so that was exciting, and it's always fun to do that in a new studio and remotely, of course. Um, and then we're going to be onboarding a lot of people over the next year. So, of course, myself, and then along with Jeff, uh, one of my creative partners, is we'll be owning that onboarding process for our new employees. So we are really just starting to talk about that and how we want to do it differently, actually. And we have Jeff with us. Jeff Coates, Studio Creative Director from Timber Games. How are you doing, Jeff? And what what is your role in onboarding? Hey, James, I'm great. Uh, My role is, well, I I wanted to jump into this conversation because I I just care a lot about onboarding. Um, I think as we are building up a studio and trying to to attract the right talent, onboarding in my experience has been one of the most important things like it's the first it's somebody's first um uh look at a studio first uh, experience with the studio and um if we if we do it right um we build really strong relationships with those people and they start spreading the word to people that they've worked with in the past i think it's it's so critical to get it right on like right from the beginning nice Nice. And rounding out our panel is Chris Archer, Chief Strategy Officer at indie publisher and developer Rogue Games. Chris, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm also on the West Coast very early. <laughs> um, I really do appreciate no, the, no, uh, no the accommodation <laughs> no, by our West Coast panelists here. Look, we, uh, we're global, so, uh, so we're working around the clock and, and we are a small but growing publisher. Um, so we're both growing quickly at the studio level, so in our publishing operations, but we also are onboarding tons of development partners as well. So it's really interesting this this world we live in right now. Nice. We are in danger of already overusing the word onboarding, but that is the subject of today's discussion. So I'm going to pass to each of you. Like, how do you define what is onboarding? How do you define it at, at your company? We'll start with Zoe. Yeah, you know, when I was asked to be on this panel, I was thinking about that. I was like, what are the kind of the distinct parts of onboarding? And I really think there's two sides to it, right? There's onboarding to your studio and your company. 
So that's just, you know, all the practical stuff, like how do I get benefits? How do I take a vacation? Who's the head of the company? Um, you know, things like that, that functional company stuff. But then there is onboarding to your team and onboarding with your manager and onboarding to your work. And I think in my experience, I found that we do the onboarding to the company at most companies really well. And the onboarding to your manager and to your team and your work is, to be blunt, terrible. <laughs> and that's often what's happened to me in my experience. And I think that's something that, you know, Timber, we want to really do differently and, and do it in a way that it really is seamless. And you kind of move through that, that process, but that you actually have a chance to find your feet and find your work and find your, your team and get comfortable there. Uh, we don't just throw you in and go, go, go do, go be productive, you know, figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, it's something we need to do a lot better. Yeah, I think as a as a company culture thing, I think part of the reason for that is that's HR's job. Uh, and I think the last few studios that I've been at, the HR departments have been so good at onboarding people into the company, um, welcoming packages that get sent out before day one, um, all of these things that get you really hyped about joining the studio. That's always right. Once you get there, there is that second half. And it's not the full-time job of the dev staff, of the dev teams, to, to continue that work once people are sitting at their desks. Um, so I think, you know, for Timber, what, what matters for us is we want to make everybody a part of that process, all the way from HR to people who are working on the teams. It's it's something we talk a lot about. Like there is a really holistic approach to company culture um, that doesn't always happen. That really is, it's everybody who's working on the games to everybody who's bringing people into the studio to marketing everything. That whole thing has to, has to work as one. And that's something we really wanna try and push, yeah. Bit of a loaded question, James, cause it's so dynamic, right? It's, there's just so many things that onboarding is. And I think that what we, you know, everybody throws out a package of a t-shirt and those things and, you know, oh, we onboarded you, here you are, find your desk, figure it out. Um, I think that's how it used to be done. We don't do it that way anymore. I don't think anybody on this panel does it that way anymore. Um, I, it's dynamic and it's especially hard, but it's, to me, it's all about culture. Like onboarding is about sort of consuming them into your culture. You know, so great people hiring great people and then bringing them into your culture. Everything else you can learn or ask a question or something like that. So that's kind of what onboarding is to us. I think, you know, I echo Jeff's comment before when he said onboarding is that opportunity to really give that first impression to an employee. And I always say this, you know, you've got basically six months to get someone from new employee to fully productive. And if you, the more you invest in that individual, the more they will invest in you as a studio. And that's a pretty simple transaction that I think is quite often forgotten about. And, you know, as you've all discussed, this is something that should be owned by everyone in the studio. I think for us, we have certain onboarding pillars. And um, so here at Jagex, we want to make sure that a new employee feels connected to their new team members, that they're supported by their manager and that they feel empowered in their role. We also want them to know and understand obviously our products, our games, to know studio-wide processes and all the quirks that can come sometimes come with, with those and um, to also truly understand their role and what is expected of them. Because I think sometimes when you're hiring people into a studio, you often fall into a trap of kind of 
selling the dream, as it were, to make sure they come and join. And when they come, sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect. So it's a good opportunity at the start to really establish those expectations, um, both sides. And then um, really, we want them to be able to access studio-wide information easily and simply and proactively make those connections around the studio as well, you know, get to know stakeholders and, you know, get to know our culture. What are the biggest challenges then when it comes to bringing in new staff? And I, and I say this prior to the pandemic, because obviously the pandemic has changed everything. And that, that's question two. Um, but like, yeah, what, what are the biggest the hurdles you've kind of got to overcome? What are the, the biggest priorities you have when you're bringing in new staff and trying to get them up to speed? I found, I think previously, it's a, a combination of what everyone has been saying is that that development staff is usually so busy working on a game. And the managers are usually the busiest ones because they're doing people management and they're actually contributing to the game at the same time. And just making sure they have time to onboard their new employees and they're taking that time to do it. It's always been a struggle. And that's something I think as studio leaders, we need to make sure that those people have the space, uh, the space and time to do it. And then that, something that Jody said really struck me is really admitting that onboarding is not a day or a week. It is six months long. It truly is. And if you forget about that person a month in and just are like, oh, I'm sure their managers got it. It's not going to be an amazing experience for that person sometimes not all the time. And so really making sure that there is some check-in points and there's some, you know, coming back to them and making sure they, they know that they're still onboarding in a certain way um, really helps with some of that. It's just the, sometimes the stress of, of starting a new job and integrating with a new team and am I doing okay? Is this all working? Um, it's just one of those things that I've seen a lot. I think that's really important. I think everybody who, you know, everybody we hired to, they want to contribute like right away. Everybody wants to feel like um, their work is valued, that they are contributing to the game. And um, a lot, the biggest challenge post or pre pandemic was we weren't, you know, there would be times where we, because of how busy everybody was, or because there was potentially not enough of a process in place to support the people supporting the new people. Um, then they would be kind of lost in the shuffle. They'd, you'd see them at meetings after, you know, a couple of weeks. Uh, and then you go, how are they doing? And we didn't really know sometimes, you know, those are in the more extreme sort of like uh, problematic situations. Um, but, you know, my experience has been if there was a process in place where like, okay, so we have regular check-ins, we know who the, who the people are, it's a part of their responsibility to make sure that that person is doing well they have to report in to like okay so how is how is blah blah doing then then i think um i, I think things were better in those situations i i think it's just all about communication like do we have clean lines of communication from the new employee all the way up right so so that they feel integrated and and uh and a part of the team as, as quickly as possible yeah, and no, and no number of soft, amazing software packages can replace that on you know that sort of you know absorbing them into your culture and and having them understand kind of how each each business works differently, right? So each of our businesses, we have different cultures and they work differently. There's different hierarchies and things like that. Try not to bog them down too much with that. So again, I go back to like creating you know rich culture and getting them sort of consumed into that and and 
they're going to be most effective when they kind of work as a team in that respect um, is probably the biggest challenge, I think, of onboarding post or pre-pandemic. You know, like it's still probably our number one issue. Exactly that. I would totally agree. You know, I, I think for us, pre-pandemic, it's about ensuring consistency of experience for each and every single new employee that joins your business. And, you know, pandemic or no pandemic, the issue is still there. It's still something that we're all trying to fix and perfect. And I think for us, we've been on a very aggressive hiring drive for the last three years. It's been super cool to see how it's transformed. But you know, with lots of new people and lots of new departments, it was pretty chaotic, definitely. So that was a big challenge. There's something there that Chris said that I wanted to build on and, and that you've all touched on a little bit is so many companies try to solve this with software. You know, there's a list of things you check off in this software. And if I give you this task, you're going to be onboarded. We're humans and we're, you know, we don't really onboard with task lists. You know, there should be a checklist to make sure things are happening. But once that list is done, it doesn't mean the onboarding is done and you're going to kind of miss the, like the value side of it really that, that Chris was mentioning. I think that's an attitude as well, right? Yeah. I mean, I think the software <laughs> attitude is kind of like, what software can I use so that I don't have to deal with this too much? I can just sort of like, you know, you click the button, it's good. And uh, as opposed to like, there's this new person on the team and we want them to feel like they are a part of the team. And, you know, that's a very different attitude from the software first sort of approach. Yeah, I think there's also an onboarding thing between teams that I've seen in studios as well, because even in, you know, the last company I, I was in with about 240 people, uh, and still there was a company culture shift between teams because the way this team uh, the way they used uh, the engine or the software was different from this team. So there needed to be an onboarding process between teams within the company. And um, uh, we forget that sometimes that, you know, anybody joining a, joining a game, there's so many issues around software, like to do your work um, and just sort of like what the cadence is and what the general, what the general process is on that game. Um, some people can get lost in the shuffle a little bit just within the company as well sometimes. We've touched on it at various points there, but, but how has the pandemic affected the the process of onboarding aside from the over-reliance on software from the sense of it? The fact that we've had pretty much our entire workforce working from home since March 2019 and probably not, we're not even sure what the future, we're still quite not quite sure what the future will look like for us as a studio, but certainly that was the big uh, shift for us, where historically as a studio, I think we've been quite resistant to that. But when push came to shove, within two weeks, everyone was home with their PCs. And it was, you know, it was pretty mad. It was a mad dash. But um, I must say, you know, I must give a massive shout out basically to our IT and facilities team because they totally smashed it out of the park. And um, consistently since then, every new starter has received their kit in time before they start. Um, so they're ready to, to basically go day one. And that's been pretty transformative, especially uh, given that sometimes they have to send kit internationally as well with closed borders and all this crazy stuff we've had to deal with, basically. So that's been really cool to see that uh, come to fruition. Um, I think for us as well, I really had to, going into my role with all the visa centres basically closing uh, for months, I really had to put my thinking cap on and 
get creative in terms of how we hired these people, how we relocated people, how we enabled people to work in their country of origin as well. And um, I mean, that took a lot of creativity, but also an awful lot of patience uh, through the pandemic, but we got there. Now it seems like the visa process is returning to normal. I don't want to jinx it. There's still a few anomalies out there, but you know, I think we're getting there. And I think for us as well, in a funny old way, uh, the pandemic has really got managers thinking about going above and beyond in terms of scheduling in those, albeit remote one-to-ones, but also having to be really proactive and think creatively about building those opportunities for people in their teams to mingle with their team members and other members, you know, other employees around JAGX as well, outside of a work environment. So virtual get-togethers and things like that. So we've really had to, I suppose, shout about the importance of that. Uh, otherwise, it's lost, you know. Yeah, we've tried a lot harder. We can all admit that one-on-ones would be the second, the secondary meeting to some other bigger meeting. So, so yeah, you, you find yourself doing that a lot more and, and reaching out and connecting, especially early in the pandemic. We were doing a lot of getting together and sort of trying to keep, keep folks motivated. Rogue has had a totally different experience. Um, we have we are generally distributed already. So once we moved into this, I mean, frankly, we had face-to-face stuff was like ironically less efficient than than uh, uh, the natural buffers in the process. So so like we'd welcome somebody to, to, to the team. Hey, here, figure out which desk you're going to sit out. Go, you know, spend the entire day. You know, we'll do introductions tomorrow. Right, like that's kind of how it would go um, in that environment, but not anymore. Now we have, frankly, we have you know DRIs that are basically their sidekick the whole time. You know, for the first few months, you know, we have people that are their helper. You know, somebody that's going to be there for them all the time. Um, so from the first hour, right, they're they're able to function. We're sending things in advance. You know, we're having people do things earlier. You know, before even before they start to kind of get ramped up understand the process. Um, it just allows us to get things done more quickly and they feel more invested in their job at, at Rogue because they've, they're kind of like hitting the ground running. You know, we say that it's cliche, but I mean, they literally are now because of the pandemic, it actually caused us to kind of wake up a little bit and, and try some different things and get people motivated a little differently. There's uh, something you're both making me uh, think of that you know, was the biggest challenge on my side. And I'm really curious to know how, how it was for you guys is the biggest change I, we found. And we actually surveyed people uh, a few months after the pandemic. And this is at the coalition at my previous job working on um, the Gears series is we found that the connection between um, the senior leadership and new employees was was completely absent. And that um, kind of easier, hey, I'm going to bring this new employee by, you know, the studio art director's desk or the creative director's desk or the head of the studio. I'm just going to bring them by. I'm going to introduce them. They're sitting on the floor together. It's really quite easy. All of that was gone. And so even if we could introduce them in a one-on-one in a video call, there was no other opportunity for them to interact just uh, by accident. And so what was happening is people were feeling um, almost like afraid to reach out to those leader people and, and uh really make those connections that just happened in the hallway. Um, and so, you know, not being a distributed studio, it was 
oh gosh, has been created almost this like fear of leadership. And that's the opposite of what we wanted. And that was not the culture at the studio at all. Um, and we had to be really intentional about changing that. So we started doing things like, you know, get to know the leaders, like Zoom lunches and uh, the new head of the studio started doing just like, ask me anything and, and things like that, which were happening in different mm -hmm. ways before. And so you just have to had to be a lot more intentional about creating connections between people is what we found. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we did stand, we would do standups on a regular basis, even during, you know, pandemic. Um, and Matt, both Matt, the CEO and I would make sure we were there every single time because it really does help folks think that we're, you know, that there's no blocker to talking to us at all. So they can ask us any questions during that time. And, we have multiple meetings at different, you know, different layers of leadership and things like that, where we do that on a weekly basis. But to answer your question, I encouraged all of the folks that we hired as part of culture building to reach out to the new employees and set up one-on-ones with them. Uh, and not to have any, there's no ego, right? Like even though they're cross-discipline, even though there's, they may not be the manager, it's like, talk to them, like find out what they're frustrated with feel free to bubble that up so that we can actually work on that stuff. It's really hard, like you said, when you can't be in front of the person walking them by or they can just poke their head in, you know, that's poking their head in, right? Somebody else is going to poke their head into your workspace for a second and see what's going on with you. And, and I'll tell you, we've had some, you know, we've had folks that are, were struggling or, or, you know, with working from home, you know, during the pandemic and stuff like that. And this helped them stay connected to, you know, to all the people and just kind of like two people in general, right? Because some people just shut their doors and didn't talk to anybody. So, yeah, we did that. Um, some similar stuff at the last studio I was at as well. Just we had to get, you know, I think the pandemic has made all of us a little bit more creative around how we're solving some of these problems. So we would do um, pre pandemic, we would do company meetings like once a month. And I think we upped the cadence to like once every two weeks um, as a company-wide Zoom meeting, company-wide AMA. And they would have the senior leadership at the studio um, give us a short blurb about what was going on in their games. And it was all moderated by someone in HR who, who got very good very fast at sort of being a, being a host and, uh, and moderating all the questions that were coming in and doing all this, but it was actually a great way for people to stay connected to studio leadership and the overall direction of the company. I think one of the things in the pandemic that can be challenging is, is context uh, for employees. Like, what are we doing? Where, what, what are the priorities for the company? Um, and unless you're getting in front of uh, employees as uh, on a regular basis, it can be easy to look to, to, to lose sight of that for people who are just working on the thing that they're working on. Um. Jeff, you are preaching to me right now and I <laughs> love it because one of the things I always shout about is, um, you know, quite often, especially when you're in a, you know, in a stage where you are hiring lots and lots of people very, very quickly, you can lose sight of the contribution that individual is technically supposed to be making to the wider vision. So I always say, you know, treat people as adults, tell them what the vision is, go into detail. You know, they want to know, they want to, they want to know how their individual role impacts that success. And quite often, as you say, Jeff, people forget to do that, you know? Yeah. 
we definitely like to call people out in those in those meetings as you know when there's successes that have been had and Matt you know Matt and I do that all the time we're trying to you know show show folks that their contributions really do matter and it, it does help a lot coming from every level of the organization so so that's really cool how does the onboarding process change when it comes to bringing in people at different stages of the project? So I'm looking, you know, thinking about the panel today. Um, Timber is only just getting started, so you're bringing in people at the start of a project. That's going to be different to say Jody bringing people into RuneScape, which is a living game. It's just constantly going. So someone's got to hit the ground running in the middle of something that's been in development for more than twenty years. I'm sure amongst you, like you've been on. Um, on teams that have brought people in towards the end of a project, like before it's it's gone gold. Like, does the process differ? Are you you still? I assume you still have that six month window to kind of bring people in, but there there presumably is a bit more pressure the later into a project you are. So I think when you join a studio right at the beginning of um, their journey, I would say it's a really super creative time to join probably still scoping out visions, USP scope of projects, things like that. So with that, there can be, it can be quite disruptive a little bit, but, you know, super creative. And if you can deal with the disruption, go for it totally. Um, when a project is more established, you'll likely be maybe, I wouldn't say feels lots of pressure, but there will likely be the, a focus on getting you into the swing of things very quickly and um, you'll likely join at a time when you'll probably have quite clear expectations and deliverables kind of established for you as an individual. So I think at the, you know, at the very beginning stage, I can talk a little bit about, uh, you know, on the timber side, it's really about making sure that we are really explaining the why, which I think you guys have already talked about, like, why are you here? Why does the company exist? But the why of what is the project we're working on? What are our goals? And then really making sure that the values are at the top of that onboarding. So these are our company values. These are the behaviors we expect to see. This is how we expect all of us to, to treat each other and show up at work. Um, and I think that's something that can be missing a lot. Uh, certainly in my past experience uh, starting in games is there are these values that get rolled out you know, at some point during the year in development, and then you kind of never talk about them again. Um, and they really should be ever present. They should be present in the person's, you know, whether there's check-ins with a, with a manager, those one-on-ones or in a, in a review that you can always come back to and say, oh, these are the, these are the behaviors I'm seeing and the actions I'm seeing from you. And do these match with the things that we talked about, you know, when, when you started. And I think with any company, you need to think about those things, but certainly with a brand new company, people don't know yet who we are. Um, and so we need to really make sure that that's a, a mutual conversation, but there's alignment there right at that very beginning and that they have something to come back to. Um, and there really is a vision for them of who this company is that they've started, who's the leadership and what can I, what can they expect from us? Um, I think is, is a really big emphasis for us for sure. And, uh, something that, uh, I think you mentioned it, Jody, was just starting with trust and saying, you're super smart. We hired you because you're amazing at what you do, you know, come in and, and show that to us, but we trust you. And I think starting with that statement and, and sort of starting with that. Uh, relationship really sets people up for, for success, um, for sure. And that, that's at the beginning. Um, definitely doing it in the end. And then I've definitely done that towards the end of a project where it's, you know, you need more people because you need them to come in and help you ship. It's the hardest thing to do, for sure. Um, I don't know if I've ever been anywhere that has done it for, really well. 
I, I think it's something that we need to improve in our sure. industry. Yeah, overall. early is always easier, right? Because they can, there's no knowledge gap. You know, if when we're starting a project, you know, everybody's yeah. kind of building that knowledge base together. Um, and so, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, you couldn't have said it better, uh, Zoe. All about, you know, trying to get them in as early as possible. And if you can't, like later, you know, it's pretty typical onboarding as horrible as that sounds, but you know, you want to get them in and get them as, as quickly as possible kind of in the mix so that they're not disruptive. Um, and, uh, and you can't spell out every aspect, right? You just can't, they're going to be a little bit more siloed. Um, but you let them there, there's a lot more outreach to them, right? There's a lot more quick Q and a, there's a lot more, uh, them a lot, you know, allowing them to ask, ask a lot more questions of you. Um, but you know, like I said, early, send them docs, have them play games in the genre that you're talking about, the game that you're doing, you know, do the research, you know, I think we'd all agree we're looking for self-starters while we don't want to throw them to the wolves. We do want them to be able to kind of do their own thing. When it comes to late project uh, folks that are coming in, we absolutely, it's a necessity, right? Because you, you really just rely on their expertise and you're kind of bringing them in for a very specific role, right? Which is help us make this better or help us finish the game, get, get the game uh, shipped. So, so it's, really, it's a really interesting question, James. It must also be challenging when you're bringing in people late because you've got an established team and an established dynamic between people and you want to kind of avoid a them versus us, you know, kind of we're the ones who've been working on this from the beginning versus you're the new lot. And like, there must be a kind of a divide there. Like, I don't know how you, you tackle that when you're kind of welcoming someone in, into your team. Well, I mean, at Rogue, I know we encourage that, that divide, right? We want new people to come in and question the status quo and, 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 you know, challenge how to make the game better. Uh, it's frustrating for the folks that have been around it for a long time and kind of committed to a particular thing, but oftentimes new eyes uh, uh, are a blessing uh, on projects. So, so I think, you know, at Rogue, we try to like encourage even when new people come in to not be worried about no matter what level they can give their feedback to anybody in the organization. Yes, this is quite a Jagex problem as well, because as a studio, obviously, we're talking about an IP that spans 20 years and we've got some people at the studio who've literally worked here for that long. And um, in the last sort of three to four years, of course, we've been hiring, I think nearly a third of our studio has been hired in the last, um, really, last two years. And uh, with that, we did start to see a bit of a us versus them divide. But as Chris said, we want fresh eyes. That's the whole point. We want fresh eyes. We want people to, do, to question processes, to question why the why behind we do things. So I think it's all about bringing, you know, um, everyone on the journey with you and really letting all parties know, like, the clear expectations and why, the again, the why. Always the why. Ask why. Hmm. I think, too, it's like Zoe had talked about trust. And I think that's that's a big part of it as well. I I think um, uh, on teams that I've been on where we have had to like add additional, you know, the, you always get to that point in the project where you ask the dev team, like, what if we got you more people? And <laughs> they're underwater. They may be underwater on the project, but they always say, no, we don't need more people. We're good. Um, they just need more time. Um, but when you do bring in more people, I think, I think a culture of trust that you build uh, that you build in your studio uh, means that 
they're going to they're going to listen to to the new suggestions of the people that are coming on onto the team. They're going to feel like, oh, my work isn't going to get stomped, or my you know my all my experiences are going to get stomped by these new people. Um, and there's also um, I think you have to build in the expectation that when people come in, there there's a there's a natural process of getting up to speed on things that requires people to sort of go through the mental exercise of like how you got to the decisions that you got to and um and to and to allow for that for new people so that you're not going yeah we did that already we did that already there's a lot that that's a big part of the us versus them uh mentality sometimes is yeah we already did that we we already decided that was a bad idea so that's why we're not doing that um and just let them do that. And every time I've been on a team where we brought in new people, I've said like, let them go on, let them go on the on the journey of like figuring out why we are where we are, and let them ask the questions because maybe there's a lot of assumptions we're making that um, that they can help point out for us, which is great. So I think I think just um, allowing people to just to just get up to speed and creating space for them as they join the team, I think, is really important. Yeah, I wanted to, gosh, you're just making me think about this. There's actually an interview question that I ask every single person I, I interview, which is you joined a new team. You don't think the game's very good. What do you do? <laughs> and I think for people new to industry too that are interviewing is to me, that's a behavior that I want to see because I want to know that they are going to talk about it. I want to know that they are going to raise it, but I want to know how they're going to do it. Because no, we don't want them to come in, you know, and be like, ah, this game sucks. And, you know, go right to the person maybe that implemented that feature or or the leader or whatever and just be super confrontational about it. But as as Jeff said, it's coming from a place of curiosity and asking questions, you know, saying, Hey, I, I played this thing, I noticed this. Can you explain to me how you got where you got to and why it is the way it is? And then they're maybe going to have a different perspective of it. Um, but I have, I have definitely had interviews where people would be like, well, I'd go to the head of the studio and tell them the game sucks. And I'm like, huh, interesting. That's an interesting way of approaching it. But there is something there to think about how you go about asking those questions when you're new to a team and, and how you integrate into that culture. So you, you don't come in telling everyone they've done a, a bad job to that point. Yeah. Well, let's shift towards that perspective then, the, you know, the, the, the point of view of the people who are joining the team and they're, they're their approach through this onboarding process. What should people who are joining a, a studio know about the onboarding process, know about the expectations and what they should expect from when they join somewhere? And I know that kind of varies from studio to studio, but like kind of what, what would you say to like, what, what would you warn someone about someone joining a studio? I think for me, I would say, and the, these are what I would call my really minimum, minimum expectations. I would say ideally you should expect communication around at the very least what your day one is going to look like, such as what time you need to log in, perhaps what meetings have been scheduled in. Um, if you're starting remotely, as most of us will be at the moment, you should receive your kit ideally by day one or on the first day to make sure you're able to get really fully operational technology wise as soon as possible. Expectation will probably be a lot of reading of documentation and things like that in your first week or so. But hopefully you'll also get lots of opportunities to virtually or you know otherwise meet your team and get together. It's also, 
hopefully, I mean, hopefully you'll see and note, like understand who's who in the studio as well. I think quite often you'll be quite isolated in your team and we create these mini silos, especially in a virtual world. So actually giving people the context of what departments do, who's who and things like that is really important too. So if you don't see it, ask for it. I love what you said there, Jody. Is if you don't see it, ask for it. Because I think, you know, being yeah, being armed with that information and saying, hey, I would love this in my onboarding. I didn't get an introduction to these people. I would love to know what other projects are being worked on. I would like to know what's expected of me in the first three months and what's your review process and how do I measure myself against that and you know things like that um, is to is to ask for it and it's okay to ask those things um, that onboarding process is you know it's half the company but it's half you too um, and the more you ask and the more you set expectations even for for the company you're joining it's going to help make the whole onboarding process um, better absolutely I think there's like a, um, like a sensory connection to the company too, that I think is like, you know, you know, pre-pandemic, you go to a studio and you're in the studio and you wander around and you go for coffee, you know, you work there. Uh, in the pandemic and, you know, when we're all working remotely, I can join it, I can join the studio and then be like, I'm still in my... I'm still in my living room. Um, <laughs> nothing's, the, nothing's changed. <laughs> nothing's really changed, but I'm working. So I think it really is, uh, you know, it, as Zoe said, we've onboarded one person so far, but it really is. I think a lot about uh, how are we connecting with them? Um, morning messages, um, getting some FaceTime with them as, as soon as possible. So that we're always providing that context of like, hey, here we are. We're doing this. How are you? How are you doing? What's going on? It's easy, obviously, easy with with just the first employee. But as we grow, um, we're going to want to establish that as part of the part of the remote culture. Like we we check in physically with each other in whatever way that we can, and um, so that we're just providing context for like you are part of Timber Games, right? Yeah, you have to be a lot more intentional. Right. So I'm thinking as you're, uh, what I used to do with onboarding is I would just set myself a little reminder in my calendar. It's like, oh, go walk around and go check in on all the new, you know, the new recruits on your team. And I would just do a little wander. And how are you doing? Is everything okay? You know, you can come and talk to me anytime to kind of reduce that intimidation factor because it, it sometimes can be there as a leader and you don't even know. But now it's like, okay. I need, yeah, our, our new employee, it's like, I'm going to check in. I'm going to send them a little message on Slack. I know we have a check-in at 1.30, but like, just have a conversation. You know, I, I mean, there's only, there's very many of us right now, but I set up a pets channel. It was like, to the new employee, it was like, Shit, we know you have a dog. Like, what's his name? What does he look like? And we started sharing pet photos, but it's nice. like funny. I call it the pet tax. Yeah. <laughs> I call it the pet tax here at Jagex. Like, if you have a pet, we need, we need photos. Yeah. That's the tax you have But it's pay. funny <laughs> how those little things are. Um, you just have to be a lot more intentional about it right now. Um, I'm living through it right now. I, I've moved from uh, I moved from my office because the morning garden the morning gardeners next door and now I'm in my <laughs> living room and so now I've moved into a, another office location in my house yeah so yeah I think uh, you know look every company does it differently um, 
you know, what should they know? I mean, in, you know, getting them engaged quickly is, is probably critical, right? We talk a lot about giving them packages of swag and resources and things like that. But to me, it's like onboard quickly, get folks rolling right away with support, like strong support mechanisms, all the stuff you talked about. We have, we have dog channels. We had like dog disco day one day. It was ridiculous. Nice. And there was music and everybody dancing their pets. Um, but anything to kind of bring, bring them together. I see yeah, that we bring them feature. together. Right? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not after you might regret it, but but you know, it's it's sort of trying to bring them together in different ways. And look, not everybody's pet people in the office, but who doesn't like to watch pets dancing around a disco? So so everybody gets involved, and and like I said, of course, everybody gets shirts and swag and such. But you know, it's more important that they get engaged, engage in the product you know, with their teammates, et cetera. And so that's, for us, that's, it's as quickly as possible that they kind of like connect with those people that, you know, it, it, that's, that's the rule. And like you said, Zoe, when I was running studio and I had my team right there, I was walking around and poking my head in and being that, being that annoying EP or studio head, you know, just, but just, they know that I exist, right. They can ask me a question about something. They can ask, you know, why, why we're doing something a certain way. And uh, so it's, it's always good to do that. But with, you know, distributed workforces and pandemics and things like that, it becomes increasingly challenging to do that. So can't do that with a Zoom camera and walk around from desk to desk. So. <laughs> no. How do new recruits strike the balance between kind of wanting to jump in and impress and really kind of stand out, but also like not kind of stepping on toes. Like we were talking earlier about you, you kind of, you hire people because you want fresh eyes. You want people to come at things from a different perspective. And sometimes it's, it's a perspective that you've already, you know, you've tried that idea, but you've turned it down. But like, I can imagine there, there, there's a limit. There, there will be some people who come in with almost an all knowing attitude. Oh no, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. Particularly like if they're like a, 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 a junior or an entry level position like and that that's going to irk some of the higher ups like anecdotally i remember a journalist uh joined and actually spent his time spent some of his time like designing an entire redesign for the magazine he worked on which he hadn't been asked for and the magazine was absolutely fine the way it was and it was like right you've spent a week of your working time on something we haven't asked you to do that you thought would impress like it's yeah, how, how, how do they strike the balance between, yeah, you want, they want to go the extra distance and show that they are ready to stand out and kind of make an impact, but equally, they are part of a team. They have to work as a team. I would say that the most important thing with that is, is leaving your ego at the door. So if you come into that situation with ego, I know better, I know better than this team, no matter how senior you are, you could be super senior and come in with that attitude. It's, it's not gonna go over very well. So it's just really not coming from state, from a place of, of ego and letting that, leaving it at the door um, and then integrating yourself into the team so that they trust you. Cause you, you do have to earn the trust of the, your peers. Absolutely. Um, and, like I said, it's really appro approaching something from a place of curiosity rather than I know better and telling people that what they've been doing for the last however many, mm. one year, two years, three years, four years is wrong and broken. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a, a difficult thing to do, I would say, but I've seen some people do it incredibly well, which is it's, this isn't come from a place of, I'm trying to tell you all how much better I am than you are. 
uh, it's truly from that team perspective, right? I think there's a calibration period as well, right? Like when people come in, you have to expect that people are going to come come out of the gates really hot and they're going to be like this, 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 this. There was somebody that I worked with at the last company I, I was at who I'm thinking of who came in and was just like all guns blazing day one, wanted to change the world, which is which was great. I think it just takes a little emotional intelligence on the parts on the part of their managers to be like, okay, cool. Here's, you know, like, let's allow for it a little bit, let it settle in. And over the course of, you know, two weeks, uh, they settled right into like the, the natural flow of things. I think that's a little bit more challenging working remotely. Um, I'll, I'll be interested to see as we grow, how we, how we manage that. Um, uh, because there's nothing really beats the FaceTime for those types of things. But but I do think there is a bit of an allowance that you make for people just getting up to uh, getting up to speed and kind of shaking their sillies out on day, you know when they first start and um, and just learning the the cadence of the team they're joining. Yeah, totally. I, I think also you can. I, to, I'm, I have frank conversations with people coming in about the status of our project. So just being honest with. Them, I mean, that goes such a long way, uh, letting people know whether something's on track or off track and kind of giving, setting expectation for them, um, not only on where the project at, but kind of giving them some, some guardrails or guide rails, right? So, you know, what do I expect from you? Like, like you're, you know, you're coming into this new environment, you want to give a lot of feedback, but actually telling them, this is what we're looking for. So if you're going to, if we want your feedback, this is where we really need it and kind of focusing them in on something in particular that you know is maybe an issue leaves them not distracted by, you know, redesigning the, the magazine, for example, you know, so it's like, you know, it, it, it's, it's really critical to kind of say, this is what our expectation is, um, but not clamp them down. You're right. You don't want to have people not be able to give their feedback, but at the same time, you can give them some more, some guide rails to allow them to, you know, get through some crazy projects right we've all had them and so um all of us we hope that none we don't have to deal with these issues at all right because they come in and they love the game and everything is hunky-dory but we have a lot of games that are you know that have been out for a long time and can't have a lot of changes put to them because it's would be a grand design change and so we kind of have to put that expectation in front of people even before we hire them you know this is kind of what what our expectation is on this project this these are our these, these are our limitations and then say but within those limitations there's so much there's a world of creativity in there and kind of giving them that little section to chew on i think if i had one tip actually to a uh, someone com new coming into a studio i would say try to very early on establish how and who and what kind of feedback you need to how how you give feedback essentially and I suppose what feedback is welcome on which particular aspects because quite often one thing we like to encourage new starters to do is to take a look at our internal processes because some of these processes have been around for a number of years and it just takes some fresh eyes to say why why are we still doing this this way you know and we want to give them the, the format within which they can confidently give feedback and know how to give it as well. I always ask for feedback on OB because I always believe and, you know, I'll tell anyone who will listen, uh, it's, there's no such thing as perfect, only progress. So any feedback is always welcome. Um, 
I think another tip I might give as well is actually quickly establish who your stakeholders are outside of your team, you know, and be proactive about reaching out to them and introducing yourself. And always ask a question. Never, never think, never be too shy to ask. Always ask the question. We're getting on for time and I'm very conscious that our West Coast panelists may not have even had breakfast yet. So I'm going <laughs> to scale this back to like one last question. Um, and again, kind of reverting back to the, the studio point of view, what one single piece of advice would you give to studios about how to best onboard new team members? Uh, we'll start with you, Jodie. For me is don't leave newbies hanging once they've signed their contract. Uh, communication is key. I think we spoke about this at the beginning of the call, but there is no such thing, especially in a virtual world, as over-communication. Talk to these people. Um, hold yourself to the values that you want your new starters to feel, know, and do, as well as have a live list of all tools and processes that will be useful to that individual that all team members can access and constantly update as and when, because that will really help with OB plans. One tiny food for thought, I just thought I'd put on here as well is that if an employee leaves within a year of starting, that is overwhelmingly, bar a couple of exceptions, down to management. So that is a big red flag to consider. And perhaps this manager does need a bit more support with helping them onboard new employees. I think Jody said it perfectly. You can't you can't over communicate um, with new employees. So I think. Um, well, maybe you can, but they'll tell you <laughs> if you have somebody who's like, that's enough. I'm good. I can, but I want to hear that from somebody. I don't want to, I don't want them to feel like, um, like they just are left alone. We, we want to make sure that they feel like they're part of the team and, and communication is key for those things. Um, so as much as you can, um, stay in touch with your new employees and check in with them. Even if you think you know how they're doing, check in with them and just find out. Um, I, I think that's that's really critical. You bring them into the culture first, right? So day one, we bring folks in and we celebrate them coming onto the team, the whole team uh, from top to bottom. Um, and that's super important. Um, and, you know, during that team stand up, we introduce them, we accept them into the group, we have them speak on their behalf. In some cases, we want them to, to not come in and be shy right out of the gate. We want them to be vocal. And every week we have these meetings, we're calling on them to say how they're doing to see what they're up to. Not just for, you know, not, not just this isn't about accountability. This is about, you know, sort of celebrating their accomplishments, you know, sort of early on in the process. And so, you know, we can ask, you know, they can ask lots of questions. They can ask questions about the games. They can ask about, you know, the health of the business and all of those things, you know, cr crazy questions. And it's for us, it's like open communication. Uh, we basically answer any question and we try not to keep stuff. And if we do, we're really, uh, we're really, uh, we really talk to them about why, right? You don't just say, oh, we're not going to answer that. Uh, or we don't want to talk about that issue or whatever that is. We say, hey, we're going to talk about this, but we're going to do it in a different forum and we're going to let people feedback and things like that. So for me, it's like, that's those are the steps, right? Day one, celebrate your employee and not just with swag, but the whole team, right? This is their new team member. They picked them, right? We hope that we pick great people that pick great people. Um, and so they need to kind of get into the swing of that and, and sort of be, allow themselves to be celebrated. I don't think I've ever had swag on my first day. 
Oh, you're swagging. missing out. Oh, James. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not like journalists are short on swag, but like I don't remember ever having onboarding swag. <laughs> Zoe finishes off. You know what? I'm going to take a slightly different perspective. It's something we haven't talked about yet is to remember that every employee is different and remember that in a video game world where we tend to have very homogeneous teams of gender and race and sexual orientation, uh, make sure that you're accommodating those things with your new employees, um, whether they're neurodiverse or you know, a part of an underrepresented group, you're going to have to actually approach your onboarding a little bit differently. And so treat everyone as an individual human <clears throat> that all your processes may need to adapt a little bit. And just remember that they may be joining a team where the people don't look like they do. And so accommodate that in your onboarding process and make sure that it's a part of that. And it doesn't end on day one or week one. <laughs> it's continuous. The one thing I wanted to add, onboarding is everybody's job. It's not just the yes. job of the HR department. We're all the entire production. Yes. Or production. It's the <laughs> yes. entire team, the entire studio is responsible for onboarding. Absolutely. And yeah. Don't forget, don't forget externally, like I we're we're a publisher and a developer internally. Don't forget the the partners that you work with externally. Um, they like swag, they like services. I mean, we're we're going to the extents of when we work with new partners externally. So say we were working with Timber, we work we we offer things like home cleaning services and HelloFresh boxes and things and private life coaching and counseling, especially during, during the pandemic, like, you know, like, are you doing okay? Like, you know, cause you, you, you can't stop working, right? There's tons of studies out there that are saying that people are just working nonstop. And so, you know, making sure that they're healthy, as you said, Zoe, you know, from top to bottom. Well, Zoe's comments about diversity rather nicely foreshadow next week's episode where on our final jobs cast, we will be talking about recruiting diversity uh, and ensuring there's inclusivity in your studio. That is all we've got time for this week. I would like to thank my panel for joining me, particularly given the early hour for three of you. <laughs> Happy to be here. It was great. Thanks, so much. Yeah. Thanks James. If you haven't already, check out the podcast feed for the previous two jobs casts and head over to the site for more careers advice and analysis as part of our Get a Job in Games Month. As always, you can get more news, insight, and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. We're going to be back on Monday with the regular news show. Thank you so much for joining us.